This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to the FT. Selling a little? Or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Honey Show. In today's program, the government bails out the banks, but what does it mean for you? Fear grips the U.S. market, but is it time to buy U.S. shares? And we have some good news and bad news about getting a mortgage from private banks. I'm Matthew Vincent, and I'll be giving you the lowdown on all of these money matters in downloadable form with the help of my colleagues from FT Money, Steve Lodge. Hello. Ellen Kelleher. Hello. And from FT Entrepreneur, Jonathan Mools. Hello. So let's start then with the money news. This week we got the details of the £37 billion bailout of Royal Bank of Scotland, Lloyds TSB and HBOS. According to the Treasury, this will allow mortgage lending to return to the robust levels of 2007 within three years. And the stock market seemed to like it, rising nearly 10% in two days. But since the dust has settled and the index has fallen back, investors have grown concerned about the loss of dividends from these and other banks and the inability of the bailouts to stabilise house prices and the economy. So how will it really affect your savings, investments and mortgages? Steve, let's start first of all with the shareholders in the banks that are taking government money in the bailout. What will happen to them? Well, as you said, Matthew, the, um, the key point is there ain't going to be any dividends 
realistically for a year and maybe for a number of years. And if we do get dividends, they're likely to be low when they return. So that's a big issue for income investors. Many, pe- many people hold bank shares purely for income, of course. Barclays, a loan out of the four, says it w- aims to resume dividends later next year, but everything's up for grabs at the moment, obviously, given market conditions. So there's no guarantee that would even be a cash dividend necessarily. It could be a uh, share-based dividend. So that's one point. But the whole capital-raising issue means, well, two things, really. One, by the capital-raising also involving these preference shares. Mr. Steve, could you just explain exactly how these preference shares actually work? Well, preference shares, Matthew, are a hybrid between a, a, a bond, a more traditional debt, like corporate bond, fixed interest security, and a share. They have a fixed coupon, fixed interest, 12% in this case, and that 12% will go to the government. And they rank higher as well than other securities, uh, should that be an issue. So the government will get its 12% before any ordinary shareholder will get a dividend, basically. Absolutely, yes. Now, that's a big drag on business. That's for every pound of capital the banks raise through the prefs. They're going to have to pay 12p on that every year. And that's where this debate about can they or can they not pay dividends has been linked in. I, I think there were originally claims about until the prefs are fully repaid, you can't pay a dividend to ordinary shareholders. The government now seems to be saying, well, that's not quite true. But the, the basic point, though, is that shareholders generally, and those banks will bear this huge cost of capital, or this very high cost of capital, at 12%. So that's a drag on the business, number one. Second drag for shareholders, if you like, is that by issuing more ordinary shares, you're spreading the profits, spreading the returns of the business across more shares. So, as one stockbroker put it to me today, and he wasn't Scott, said returns will be dire in future. Um, I think he may have meant dire. Another analyst suggested that banks going forward might be dead weights on private investor portfolios. And of course, there is then the wider issue. You're an existing shareholder. Should you put money into these new banks? Because they're Um, they're looking to raise money from ordinary shareholders as well as the government. Well, indeed. I mean, the whole presentation of this as the nationalisation of banks is, is slightly misleading in as much as it's almost a state backing of the capital raising. In theory, they could raise all the new ordinary share money from private and institutional investors. In practice, they're unlikely to, and that, of course, is partly because, back to, no dividends. So it's a bit of an open question yet whether it's going to be worth putting new money into these banks. Some people say you're getting at lows, the government's getting in at lows. Other people say, no, these are deadweight businesses going forward. Don't throw good money after bad. So if you're a shareholder, then certainly no dividends for, well, at least a year. Ellen, let's look at mortgage borrowers. Now, the government says that this cash injection to help recapitalise banks will free up lending and we'll get more lending and we'll probably get more competitive rates. Is that actually how the mortgage lenders themselves think it's going to work? I'm afraid we really haven't seen that much evidence of that taking place in the market. It's more, it's all talk right now and tracker rate mortgages have actually increased. A number of banks are not passing along the full rate cut benefit. Fixed rate mortgages have held up better and that's largely because they tend to depend more on swap rates, which is the longer-term interbank lending rate. They've come down from a year ago and are expected to fall further already. So if you're on a standard variable rate, you will have seen 
some benefit from last week's Bank of England base rate cut if your lender made the same cut in your standard variable rate. Yes, yes, that's true. Some lenders have passed on the full rate increase, Lloyd's, HBOS, Abbey, and then others have yet to do it. And brokers are saying if you do want to track a rate mortgage in the next six months, you should rush to your broker. Because I suppose what's happening is that lenders are withdrawing their existing attractive tracker rates, which are only a sort of relatively small margin above the Bank of England base rate, and either issuing new new mortgages with much higher margins above the base rate or not issuing new mortgages at all. Yeah. I mean, the best two-year tracker rate on offer now is a, a rate of 5.09%, which requires a, a deposit of 25% and also comes with a fee of almost £1,900, and that's available exclusively from John Charcoal. And of the fixed-rate deals that are available, I mean, are there any that, that also look attractive at the moment? Well, Abbey has a has a 5.39% rate on a two-year fixed. Brokers are also saying that or suggesting that people examine lifetime mortgages because the rates are quite similar to two-year tracker rates now. In many cases, the fees are lower. Jonathan, if we can turn to small businesses, they obviously have a, a need for borrowing at, uh, at almost all times. How do you think this bailout plan might affect them? Could there be any benefit for business customers? Well, the, the government's been quite certain about its intention to help small business, which is a, a turnaround because small business always feel like the Cinderella has left out of the ball and has been very unhappy in uh, in the last couple of years when people like the Competition Commission investigated business bank accounts. They seem to find that against the banks and then actually let the banks off the hook by loosening the uh, controls they had on business bank accounts. The hope is that the small business community can insist on banks freeing up things like the ability to switch bank accounts will be very useful to heighten competition for small businesses. They found lots of problems with that in the past. For small businesses, what they need is just some access to decent credit. And there, there have been a lot of complaints about overdrafts being turned into loans and a general feeling of a tightening of the screws. So we'll have to wait and see if the government takes any action there. One aspect of the government's intervention in the last few days has been to provide protection for savers in failed banks. Now, these are obviously private individuals whose money has been in some of the Icelandic banks. What is the situation with regards deposit protection if you're a small business? Are you also protected? The short answer is yes, but there are lots of qualifications. So if you're a limited company, you can make a claim to the Financial Services Compensation Scheme for up to £50,000 for each bank or building society where your business has an account, but only if they meet two of three criteria, either their turnover is not more than £6.5 million or they have a balance sheet total of less than £3.26 million or they have a, a total number of employees of not more than 50 people. So basically, you've got to be a very small business in order to have this government protection. Yes, it's very specific. And Steve, let's just come back to savers who aren't small businesses, they're private in- individuals. We've mentioned that they've seen their savings protected in these failed banks. What will the bailout of the UK banks mean for the savings rates we can see in future 
Well, Matthew, I mean, there must be a fear, if you like, that people will gravitate towards the state-backed banks, the safe banks, so to speak, and in turn those banks won't have to offer such high rates. I don't think we're really seeing such great evidence of that just yet. You know, don't forget, we've, you know, this whole so-called bailout has seen enormous ructions in the stock market, i.e. people's perception of the bailout. And indeed, one of the, if you like, the bailed-out banks, RBS, and its subsidiary NatWest is still offering a market-leading ISA rate at 7.32% for transfers in, which a lot of building societies are complaining about because they're losing money to that. But let's look beyond the initial storm, and in theory you could see a two-tier market developing, I guess, where state-backed organisations don't need to offer such high rates, and in turn those that are deemed to be more risky do have to offer higher rates. Don't forget as well, we also had a base rate cut this month. Experts are saying that they expect instant access rates or many existing instant access rates to come down. This might, of course, be part of the usual rate trip games where they downgrade an existing account and launch a new account. But what we do have out there is some very high fixed rates still. So you can still get seven, even more than seven, if you're prepared to tie up your money. Now, experts, of course, turn around and say, well, but because of all the uncertainty around, people are even less inclined to tie up their money at the moment, and they want instant access. I don't know whether there's a greater sense of security if you can just literally go to the bank and, and get your money out immediately. I mean, I, I guess that that's logical. So it's Basically, seven for fix and instant access, you can still get about six and a half. So still great time to be a saver, so long as your money's safe. Of course, and it sounds like the, the competition will certainly keep some of those rates looking high and attractive. So, well, thanks to you all for that. And if you'd like to know more about how the bank bailouts affect you, you can read our special reports in FT Money in this weekend's FT or go online at ft.com forward slash money. You can also send in your questions for us to answer by emailing us at ask.ftyourmoney at ft.com. Still to come, the good news and the bad news about private banks. But first, is it time to buy US shares? Last week, the Dow Jones Industrial Average fell by 18.2%, the worst weekly decline in the index since 1900, as fears about the US bank bailout and a global recession triggered panic selling. But some market watchers were looking at different indicators and their history books and coming to a different conclusion, namely that equity markets were close to forming an intermediate immediate market low. So is this a short-term profit opportunity or are markets just too volatile? Well, earlier I talked to one of those market analysts, Simon Thompson of Investors Chronicle and author of the forthcoming book Trading Secrets. And I began by asking him what he was looking at last week. Matthew, I've been keeping a very close eye on the VIX index. This is Wall Street's gauge of fear. It calculates the volatility in the options market. And on Friday, the 10th of October, it hit a record level of 76. To put this into perspective, prior to last week, it had only once passed 47 before. So these are unsustainably high levels of risk aversion shown by investors, which is a great contrarian indicator of the future direction of the stock market. I've also been keeping a very close eye on the euro-yen rate, which is a sign of investor risk aversion too. Interestingly, when this rate has sold off, it's pinpointed major turning points in the equity bear market since August 2007. And guess what? On Friday the 10th of October, it hit a low and started to reverse from that point. And looking at other historical precedents, 
other indicators that have proved to be right in the past that you know, are now suggesting a possible market low approaching? The corporate bond market is a great predictor of equity market lows. If you've studied the last 100 years of stock market history, you'll know that the corporate bond market always sells off before the equity market. It'll hit a loan, start to rally, and generally speaking, four months after it starts to rally, the equity market will finally hit its low. That would suggest that when corporate bonds start to rally, we'll have to wait another four months until we hit a low. But what about now? Are there any sort of intermediate trading strategies that private investors could consider? It may be a little-known fact, but a hedge fund manager, James Altucher of Formula Capital, discovered that when the S&P 500 index falls 20% below its 200-day moving average, this is a major buy signal, signal for the index. The 200-day moving average is simply the average of the last 200 days trading prices in the index. What Mr. Altucher discovered was that if you buy the index on the day that it passes through 20% below its 200-day moving average, one month later you'll be showing a profit. It's incredible, but since 1975, this has only happened 34 times, and every single time you'd be showing a profit one month later. Are you saying that this buy trigger has been seen now? Absolutely, Matthew. On Monday the 6th of October, the S&P 500 plunged through 1,060 points, which was exactly 20% below its 200-day moving average. It's currently trading at 900 points. And my theory is that in the week of Monday the 3rd of November, that's US election week, the index will be trading above 1,060, implying quite a big profit potential for investors buying now. That is a big profit potential in a relatively short space of time. So how can private investors make this trade? Is there a particular instrument they should buy? One of the easiest ways of actually trading the S&P 500 is through an exchange-traded fund. And all that fund does is track the index exactly. So a 1% movement in the S&P 500 translates to a 1% movement in the index tracker. Just finally, though... Have there been any unusual indicators that market watchers have been keeping an eye on when trying to find buying opportunities? Matthew, this may seem incredible, but when the Dow Jones Industrial Average hit its record high in October 2007, believe it or not, there was a full moon that week. So are astrologers now, or or astronomers rather, looking at lunar cycles? They certainly are, because on Monday the 13th of October, there was another full moon. It's, it's almost spooky. Simon, we'll, we'll see if the uh, trading strategy you've mentioned uh, will play out over the next few weeks. But for now, thank you very much indeed. You're welcome. That was Simon Thompson of Investors Chronicle. And for full details of that short-term trading strategy, you can read his article in FT Money this weekend and find out how to get a special FT reader discount on his Trading Secrets book. And finally today, we have some good news and bad news about private banks. Now, Steve, I suppose the good news is that private banks are still willing to lend to wealthy customers. Yes, I suppose that is good news if you're a private bank customer or if you're a big hitter or still a big hitter and still think you're entitled to that special level of service. I mean, Coots, for example, one of the oldest private banks around, has seen its mortgage book grow by about 20% this year. So that's your good news. Quite a bit of bad news, though. Even private banks are starting to look more cautiously, not surprisingly, at these sort of big city fishers who are coming along and saying, I want to borrow £5 million. Now they're saying, well, how much of your portfolio is in stocks and shares? They're probably asking more questions about bonuses. Another bit of bad news as well, of course, is that private banks typically, while 
as you would imagine, and prepared to lend some serious sums if, you, if you're that sort of borrower, typically their loans are priced against LIBOR. LIBOR, of course, is the interbank lending rate and is at a record high against base rates. So typically you're paying the rates about one and a half over base rates, which doesn't sound that good to me. But I think you've got to look at the overall package of rates, fees, etc. I suppose, well, one of the things is if you are looking to borrow a six or even a seven-figure sum for a mortgage, you're not going to find that quite so easily on the high street. So it might be worth taking the grilling in the sort of uh, leather armchair at a private bank to to actually get hold of the money. Well, indeed. I mean, I think um, what private banks really are saying is they'd like to know their customers well and they'd like to flog them everything else under the sun, including come the next upturn, a a wonderful wealth management service, you know, foreign exchange and all the rest of it. So it it is more of a grilling and it does depend on whether you want that sort of one bank relationship, I guess, really, and uh, um, rather than pick and mix your financial services. And just finally, if... You are looking to get a mortgage from private banks. You need a larger sum. It's not just a question of walking up to the private bank and knocking on their door, is it? You have to go through... It tends to be more intermediary-based, yes. You can't just walk down the high street, although, of course, I believe Coots has a, a branch, but it's not one I go into regularly. Um, No, I I walked past it as well. They wouldn't let me in, I don't think. Well, if you'd like to know more about how to go about getting a larger mortgage from a private bank, you can read Joe Cumbo's article in this weekend's FT Money and online at ft.com forward slash money. But that's all we have time for in this week's FT Money show. Do remember that you can email your views and your questions to ask.ftyourmoney at ft.com and we'll be back next week with another financial lowdown in downloadable form. But until then, it's goodbye from me and it's goodbye from Steve and Ellen. Goodbye. Goodbye.